Good evening. You're listening to the Parliament of Rooks podcast, episode 16. What's this? to the Parliament Rx podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lenise. And this is his wife, Melanie Lenise. Um, so I know I mentioned last time out, you know, because uh, you were going to go away, you know, for uh, work for a little bit. Yep. Um, that I might, um, you know, shift up the uh, the direction of the show just for a couple episodes, you know, in, uh, in lieu of doing, you know, straight out comic reviews, you know, instead... Uh, I was proposing that we take a look at, uh, you know, sort of magic-related character from the old, uh, you know, Adam West Batman TV show. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> because, um, you know, th- there's not many, you know, in that show that, that fit that bill or whatever, but I found that a little sliver. Um, but the more and more I started thinking about it, you know, those shows are um, kind of short, you know, like they're just, uh, you know, a half hour, and then once you take out commercials, we're really only talking like 22 minutes. Uh-huh. Um, so that's not really a lot of material to spread across two episodes, um, you know, I, I was thinking, okay, well, we could just do it back to back, just do one, but then I still got another episode to fill. I considered, um, there is a series that actually came out, um, just a couple of years ago, uh, called Batman 66. Um, what it is, is, uh, there's a, an artist named, uh, Michael Allred who does, uh, his particular style is very evocative of sort of, you know, mod styling, you know, very like sort oh, of cool. 1960s infused. Yeah, he is. He's a great artist. Um, and he, uh, you know, DC had tapped him to basically do an homage to, you know, the old TV show, basically do comics in that style, you know, pull uh-huh. back the old Cesar Romero Joker and, you know, the Burgess Meredith <laughs> Penguin and stuff and, you know, and draw them in that style. Um, and they published it as a, a digital comic, you know, which um, sort of a little bit different, you know, when we look at comics and we sort of, you know, read them through and, you know, we follow at our own pace. A digital comic they publish out and uh, has a certain functionality such that it has almost like a build, if you want to say. Like, so as you click through the comic, like word balloons appear. So it almost gives it the illusion, I guess, uh, of motion and stuff. Yeah. So almost like movie-like? Yeah. I, it's like there's no real motion. I mean, there's still the static panels, but they, they like I say, they'll add another panel and then put a word balloon, so on and so forth. Mm. You know, so I thought it might be a good idea because there is one... Um, that sort of parallels the episode we're going to be taking a look at, mm-hmm. um, specifically the character of Zola the Great. That's uh, her name. I mentioned okay, last time. Yeah. The Z-A I was wondering. Magician. I was like, it's not Satana. Who <laughs> yeah, is yeah. it? Um, but uh, so, yeah, so they're, you know, the episodes of the TV show we're going to take a look at uh, have to do with Zelda. So I was thinking maybe we'd pair it up with the digital comic of Zelda. Um, but, you know, as I started looking at those, they're kind of hard to do over a podcast like you know to sit there and do it yourself you know just to, to read it it's kind of fun or whatever but to actually talk through it you know like as mm-hmm. we talk you know we sort of get a whole visual picture and you know in our minds we can sort of you know build what we're going to say and then convey that verbally you know to folks listening yeah that's a little bit harder you know with a digital comic um so i think we're not going to do that you know um okay. it, it was later uh collected actually into printed issues so maybe down the road if i get a hold of one of those printed issues and we can take a look at the uh, you know the mike allred batman 66 zelda issue um for the time being we're not going to do that <laughs> so, okay. so i think what we're going to do instead is uh what i'd originally planned to do before you were going away was our next episode was going to take advantage of the uh, concept of team ups you know for three 
weeks, you know, we basically took a look at Zatanna and I was saying how that was this first sort of intertital crossover going on, you know, how she sort of weaved in and out of various titles. Um, so initially, you know, what I was going to do was sort of tie it in thematically and say, well, you know, that sort of continued in, in some other titles. And uh, I was going to take a look at a character that we haven't talked about much. We only did one episode, I think, back in uh, episode four, I want to say, when we did the first, uh, you know, Mark Merlin superhero stuff. Where I talked about his um, co-star there in House of Secrets, Eclipso. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I was going to use that character that, you know, I don't actually like that much and whatever and do a whole episode um, focused on, you know, his team ups. Um, you know, I mentioned in House of Secrets how there were sort of co-features, him and, you know, Prince Rahman. Mm -hmm. um, well, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, House of Secrets, you know, started uh, flagging as a title, basically like, you know, sales were, were going down. Um, so they were trying different things to, you know, keep it above uh, water. And one of the things they did was like, oh, hey, let's have a team up, you know, with these two co-features. You know, we're, thus far we've had just Eclipso stories. We've had just Rahman stories. How about Eclipso meets Rahman? You know, it was a sort of gimmick to bring in course, sales. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that was the first one I was going to take a look at. And then secondly, you know, what was super super popular in 1966 we spent a, right a huge you know <laughs> sidebar last episode talking right batman was all the rage so the other part i was going to take a look at was when after they had converted uh brave and the bold to be a, a batman uh team-up book you know there's a team up there with uh, with batman and eclipso also um so it's a bit torturous though given the fact that i don't like that character to do a whole episode i don't um, think i did either yeah so but then inspiration struck i'm like well wait a minute you know, why not, you know, give everybody a little something, you know, if we have this two-part Batman episode, I got two Eclipso stories, why not just do the, that as back-to-back -back episodes? We can do one Eclipso story tonight, mm -hmm. combined with a, you know, an audio commentary, you know, for the Batman episode, mm -hmm. leave it on a cliffhanger, you know, as the as they did. And <laughs> That's then, appropriate. Yeah, and then pick it up on next episode, you know, wrapping that up, and then doing the second Eclipso story, which is Batman anyway, so it's sort of like all okay. ties together. Yeah, that, that let's do like it. Plan. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so uh, so which do you want to do first? You want to do the, the comic first? Yeah, let's do the comic. Let's do the comic. Okay, let me go ahead and uh, pull that up. All right, so the um, uh, you know issue then of House of Secrets where that, uh, that first, I say first, there's actually two team-ups, but the first <laughs> team-up <laughs> occurred is, uh, you know, House of Secrets number 76 um, from January, February 1966, and it's a story called uh, Helio the Sun Demon. Now, um, the art chores on this are uh, actually kind of neat, right? So they say, you know, it's a team-up. Um, so for the first half of the story, they use the, um, the Eclipso art team. Um, well, Bob Haney, let's say, just, you know, wrote the whole thing. You know, we've, we've met uh, that writer before, so he wrote the whole story. Um, but the art on the Eclipso half of it is uh, Jack Sparling, who was actually the third uh, regular artist. You know, initially, when we took a look at our first Eclipso story, it was Lee Elias, and then I mentioned that uh, Alex Toth, who the um, the guy who would do the um, original art for the uh, Super Friends, um, you know, then took over, you know, for Eclipso. Um, but th at this point, you know, a couple years out, um, Jack Sparling was now handling the art chores. Um, so he does both the pencils and inks, you know, on the first half of it. And then the, uh, the second half of the story, you know, where they focus more on Rahman, that then is Bernard Bailey. Um, who we had seen, you know, when we first took a look at Rahman, you know, when, when he was converted and, you know, the, the Wizard of a Thousand Moods where he fought that phrenology guy. Mm -hmm. That was all Bernard Bailey, um, who I'd also mentioned, you know, was the artist that we were going to see his Golden Age work in fairly short order uh, because he was the creator of the Spectre. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
So, um, so the first things first, we will take a look at the, uh, the cover, um, which is uh, Pencils and Inks by uh, Jack Sparling. Um, of note, we should say both cover and um, you know, inside, uh, for some reason they do not have a credit for the lettering. You know, I guess they, hmm. they're not sure who did it. All right, so you look at the cover and uh, you know, on it we see House of Secrets featuring Eclipso, hero and villain in one man, and Prince Raman, mind master in a double-barreled book-length blockbuster. The fate of the whole world hangs on a thread as Prince Raman battles Eclipso and his new fantastic ally, Helio the Sun Demon. As we see, uh, you know, Raman socking Eclipso, you know, as they ride across the sky on what appears to be, you know, a, a sort of six-sided sun gem or something, you know, or like, <laughs> like a platform or something. And then, uh, you know, from above them, we see, you know, this sort of strange like Cro-Magnon looking creature guy you know he's got a heavy brow yeah and he's got like sort of I guess rocket tentacles coming out of his back that, that oh, are like I thought it was some kind of jetpack yeah no I think that's part of his body and it's sort Ew. of like propelling him and uh you know he's all yellow and you know he's sort of dressed in a, in a fiery costume he's got you know sort of like you know flamey gloves and some sort of uh sun emblem there on his chest and cool elf boots. Cool elf boots? You think they're cool? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm assuming this must be uh, Helio. So let's go ahead and uh, crack this open. There's a, we begin on our splash page here. Uh, it looks like to be in outer space, you know, as a Eclipso is, you know, riding a saucer, you know, blasting, um, you know, a, a rocket there using his, oh, his, remember his black diamond. That is what gives him his power. He's shooting out like a little, you know, bolt of black energy. Mm. And, uh, you know, as Helio, you know, apparently is, you know, zooming up to the side, Eclipso says, The fools, the puny missiles cannot save Earth from our domination with Helio's solar powers at my command. And her narration reads, you were awed at Eclipso's origin. That's overstating it there. Narration. <laughs> <laughs> you, like, shuddered, <laughs> you shuddered at his evil exploits. But like the man said, you ain't seen nothing yet. For here, in this book-length blockbuster, the paragon of pulverizing powers teams up with a new fantastic ally, combining in a threat so terrifying that not only Dr. Bruce Gordon, but Prince Raman Mindmaster must jump into the battle, a fight to save a whole world from the menace of Eclipso and Helio the Sun Demon. Um, so we cut to the, uh, the vast lab complex beneath the ruins of Solar City. They're still hanging out there? <laughs> As Dr. Bruce Gordon, brilliant young scientist, indulges in some exhausting research. Yeah, he looks exhausted. Well, and this is quote-unquote research. As, yeah. You know, what he's actually doing is uh, smooching up to, uh, you know, his uh, you know, a former fiancé there, Mona. And she's saying, Oh, darling, darling, I can't wait until the day we're married. Mona, honey, you know the answer to that. You know who stands between us. Break it up, you two, says, uh, you know, apparently... Simon Bennett, her father, you know, who we did see, but looks, uh, you know, a little bit different here under uh, Jack Sparling's pen. You know, he was formerly a, a thin fellow. And he here gained he a little weight looks a little poorly. <laughs> All the, a little portly. Uh, worried about Eclipso. He's been hitting the, the snacks pretty hard. He's been <laughs> nervous eating. <laughs> so break it up, you two, or you'll still be smooching when Eclipso appears, which will be exactly 30 minutes when that eclipse over North Africa begins. Check, Professor, says uh, Bruce. Well, here I go again. One thing you can say, it's not a dull life having a secret split identity. Hmm, says Mona. I suppose so, darling. And I guess I'm the only girl who has an evil weirdie like Eclipso for a rival instead of some ordinary, everyday, gorgeous blonde. So, tense preparations are made. And not long after, half a world away, the universe's most awesome spectacle begins. And we see, you know, some sort of African Bedouins, you know, pointing over the hill as, you know, the, uh, the solar eclipse begins. Um, you know, while back in the lab complex, you know, that is the trigger, 
you know, mm-hmm. to bring out Eclipso. And uh, just a note, like I say, you know, we are not going to do tons of Eclipso stories. So since we first saw him and between this time, uh, I'll just clue you in that, uh, you know, Simon Bennett has been working with Bruce Gordon to try to, you know, free the, him from this curse. Okay. Um, and he, he's had a modicum of success. You know, when we first saw him, you know, Bruce Gordon would change into Eclipso. They've gotten as far as the fact that they can now at least cleave off the Eclipso self from Bruce. So they actually become nice. two different beings. Um, so, and that's what's happening here because, you know, as the eclipse hits, you know, we see Mona Honey say, uh, Dad, it's happening. Eclipso is splitting off from Bruce. You Do know, you just call her Mona Honey? Well, that's what he keeps calling her, Mona Honey. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Eclipso, yeah, we see the, the body form, you know, like uh, separating that from Bruce. Uh, Stand by, says uh, Simon Bennett. I'm going to hit him with high intensity light, send him back into Bruce's body. Um, I, so we had formerly seen that, you know, bright light defeated Eclipse. So I guess, you know, in this new, um, you know, state of affairs, obviously bright light, you know, at least brings him back. They just, they want to not let him escape and wreak havoc on the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the deal is with the silver foil? The silver, oh, they're, okay. In the background, we see a box of, uh, silver foil, which I have no idea what that, like tinsel or something. Um, yeah, I assume that's going to be like a, uh, like, a key thing. Uh, so like a Chekhov's gun, right? Yeah. If you see it in the, in the, in the first, you know, page, it's going to, by the end of it, you know, be the, uh, the solution to, to the problem. Yeah. And it's the only thing on the counter. I'm sure it's important. Well, let's turn the page and find out. Uh, as indeed that uh, they're not even waiting till the end of the story. Uh, it becomes integral in the very next panel as uh, Eclipso, you know, emerging from Bruce's body, you know, grabs that box of silver foil and uh, tosses <laughs> it into the air. And, uh, you know, Dr. Bennett, you know, says, oh, he's tossed a shower of silver foil. It's scattering the light with a uh, zap. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's poorly placed, you know, tinsel there, sir. Clean up after your, your Christmas decoration. You should, oh, what was the, the thing you need to have a... Uh, a durable Christmas. <laughs> Bennett is not having a durable Christmas. So as the uh, as the high photon light is diffused in a thousand reflective beams, you know, Eclipso, you know, in triumph says, Outsmarted you, Professor. When next you hear of Eclipso, Centauri will make me master of the world. Now farewell. Bruce, we must we must rouse him, says Bennett, you know, trying to grab him and shake Bruce awake. He's doing a little dance. <laughs> he's, right, he's, like, he's a little like, you know, sort of Harlequin, you know, Commedia dell'arte exit. <laughs> so uh, so Bruce, you know, snaps out of his stupor. Uh, saying, no, you don't have to tell me. I can feel it in my bones. Eclipso tricked us and escaped. I'm sorry, Bruce, says uh, Bennett. Imagine being fooled by a simple gimmick like that. A shower of silver foil to reflect the light. Simple and effective, says Bruce. Bomber crews use the same gimmick to baffle radar during the war. All right, let's get after him. There's uh, you know, Simon chasing after him and says, His last words, Bruce. When you next hear of Eclipso, Centauri will make me master of the world. Doesn't mean a thing, says Bruce, you know, running to his car. It's just gibberish. But as the trio tries to pick up the trail of the Eclipse man, you know, they're racing down the street in their car. Not a sign of him, Bruce, says Bennett. Again, he's on the loose and on an unsuspecting world. And again, I'm responsible. We've got to find him. Um, so apparently, a few days pass uh, because, you know, we see the uh, the trio you know, sort of all tired out, you know, trying to keep themselves, uh, you know, fresh with some coffee. Mm. Eclipso's vanished into thin air, Bruce, says Bennett. In the past, his bizarre crimes always led us to him. But this time? This time he's up to something more evil, more terrifying, says Bruce. I can feel it. But what? And where is he hatching his diabolical plot? Where? So I... 
once again, I don't know that much about Eclipso, but so what? Once he comes out from the eclipse, he just stays out like until they capture him because like three days have passed. It's not like the eclipse is still going. Yeah, the eclipse is long yeah, over. So maybe that's the, the trigger to release him, but then uh, he's free until they can stop him. Um, so where indeed, Bruce Gordon? For at this very moment, above an island off the coast, you know, we see some sort of... Uh, you know, a bomber plane, I guess. You know, maybe it's Hal Jordan. <laughs> the, 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 uh, you know, the, the thing is green. So right on the old bullseye. Pretty good bombing if I do say so myself, you know, says the uh, the pilot. Probably not Hal Jordan. Probably not Hal. <laughs> so below the island surface, you know, protected by 50 feet of packed sand, we see some sort of, you know, underground, you know, lair. Is it, you know, Eclipso is like doing some sort of nefarious something or other. <laughs> this off-limit bombing range makes a perfect spot to conduct my experiments. Those bomb bursts above are soothing music, assuring me that no one will disturb my work. And so you hear, boom, boom, you know, the sound of the bombs. Uh, so then, uh, my nosy friends have finished for a while, just in time for my observations of the sun's surface. Um, so now, as the infamous split man gazes toward the sun, 93 million miles away, Excellent. The solar prominences are reaching maximum. Now, if all my other experiments are correct, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> so, while Eclipso's mulling this over, we see uh, the huge telescope devices, prisms and mirrors gathering to focus the solar turbulence and pinpoint it in the buried lab. Cosmic rays at a terrific pitch, causing a magnetic storm centered right over this island, now to directly beam into the biochemical vat. So... Unforeseen by human eyes, a vortex of solar power hurtles down at the desolate sand pit. As uh, inside, it's working. Must shield myself from the intense light. You know, we see the, the sort of solar beams, you know, focus down through this thing into, you know, whatever Eclipso has rigged up. And, uh, and what he has rigged up is, you know, <laughs> something pretty clever because moments later, uh, you know, we see a being arise out, out of, you know, where all this light has been focused. You know, the sort of, you know, Cro-Magnon heavy-browed, you know, solar creature thing we saw from the splash. Where am I? Who are you? I, Eclipso, Master of Darkness, have created you, Helio, Master of Light. The specially treated cape will protect me when you use your powers. Here, put this on. As you see, I was all prepared for you. As uh, he hands him like a, uh, you know, a, 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 what would you call well, you it from a dance perspective? Leotard. Would, well, it's a leotard, but it doesn't have any legs and it does have arms. Is that a specific thing? No. All right, so it's basically an armed leotard. So he like, you know, like I say, you know, sort of bikini cut on the side, but then, you know, with like full length arms complete with gloves. And uh, and like I say, you know, it's got that sort of, you know, solar icon there on the chest. Can we call them helio hands? <laughs> helio hands, I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, so I've come a long way, millions of miles. You better not waste my time, Eclipso. What does he mean? He's come millions of miles. Didn't, you know, Eclipso create him? Yeah, exactly. Only part of you came from the sun, my friend. The rest from biochemicals I compounded. And since you've just been born, don't be impatient. First, a test of your powers. My powers? Why, those of the sun itself. The incandescent, dazzling power of exploding hydrogen, it says. <laughs> Obviously, hydrogen. Oh, wow. <laughs> Maybe that's why the, uh, the letter wasn't credited. Uh, there, just a small sample, says uh, Helio. As, uh, like I say, from those, uh, you know, sort of tentacled spouts on his back. You know, he projects some sort of solar blast as, you know, wham, he knocks something over there in the Eclipso's lab. <laughs> Splendid! We are fit companions, Helio. Fit to carry out together the operation that would make the entire world quake at the sound of our names. He always looks like he's dancing. <laughs> he's dancing. He's, a, he's jamming. It's the uh, Eclipso 2C or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, some time later, as uh, we rejoin a man on a frantic search, a man searching for his split identity. Bruce, says uh, you know, Simon Bennett, why are we here, over the Arizona desert, 2,000 miles from where Eclipso was last seen? There's our destination, Professor. Down there, the Space Center, Zebra West. Recall Eclipso's last words. When next you hear of Eclipso, Centauri will make me master of the world. Oh, I thought that was gibberish, Bruce. <laughs> well, says Bruce, to me, apparently. <laughs> Centauri is the new government space platform. They're, they're about ready to orbit. And you think Eclipso might try to get his hands on it? Asks Bennett. That's a wild guess, Bruce. He couldn't. So, uh... So let's see whether he could, because <laughs> meanwhile, I'm elsewhere, he could. Um, you know, we see, uh, you know, Eclipso and, and Helio jumping out of the back of like a deuce and a half truck <laughs> as, uh, you know, we see a um, you know helicopter, you know, kind of down there leaping from that truck, Eclipso. Bruce, you were right. He's here. Oh, that's that. I didn't even realize it was them in the helicopter. Um, but uh, Bruce, you were right. He's here. Good stars. Who's that fantastic character? Good stars. Who's that fantastic character with him? <laughs> Eclipso's blasting a hole in the fence with his energy bolts. But these stories are just like, they feel like they're being written as they go. Like everything's just like, oh, now this is happening. Now this is happening. Like, I really dislike Eclipso stories. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the copter, you know, starts to land and, uh, you know, Eclipso spying them, um, you know, takes his black diamond and shoots a, uh, you know, beam up at them. Black light, can't see the land. Hang on, as uh, the helicopter crashes. And that's not true. You totally could go into auto rotation and land that thing safely. <laughs> I can tell you from experience. Ha ha, says Eclipso, you know. <laughs> because he is uh, misrepresenting helicopter safety. Because he's evil. <laughs> I don't know how Gordon knew this was our objective, Helio, but that'll keep him from interfering for a while. As, uh, an interesting demonstration of yours, Eclipso, but just watch mine. As uh, the two of them are heading towards some sort of like, it looks like experimental craft in the back, you know. There's like a crane hoisting up what looks to be like almost like a, a flying saucer or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, so Helio, you know, blasts yet another, you know, gross blast out of his, you know, uh, you know, what would you call those things? Like protuberances or something They're coming out of his back. This is gross. Yeah, it's, it's nasty. You know, but uh, whoosh, you know, a, a uh, you know big blast, you know, hits all, all the uh, the workers there. Get back! That weirdie's blasting us with flaming hydrogen. <laughs> weirdie. Weirdie. <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, while Helio's doing this, you know, we see Eclipso uh, heading right for that little flying saucer thing. I've blasted the platform free of that crane. Helio, jets on! Full power, Eclipso. There's a Helio, you know, um, flying up toward the thing. <laughs> Eclipso's mad! Uh, folks on the ground. He can't steal that platform. It weighs tons. Um, So it's not a craft, I guess. It's just some sort of platform, platform that's shaped exactly like a flying saucer. Yeah. Um, so they're saying he can't steal it. Maybe not, but that bizarre partner of his, Helio, sure can. Look! Uh, so as the newly created ally of Eclipso makes the platform hover like a feather. Perfect, Helio. Now let's get out of here. Fast! My powers haven't even been challenged yet, Eclipso. Solar energy is the greatest in the universe. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> so, then, like the thundering thrust of a hundred rockets. Great Nova, says, uh, you know, the, our trio on the, on the ground. Eclipso's ally, he's lifting off the platform with fantastic power. Uh, amazing, incredible. The two of them fly off with a war rush. As, uh, as now they flash across the sky in a dazzling golden arc. Look at that buster go, says one of the workers. Why are they stealing the platform? I have a pretty good idea, says Bruce. Quickly, take me to the remote ground controls. The ground controls are in that blockhouse ahead. Blockhouse? You're a blockhouse. <laughs> <laughs> 
Step on it, says Bruce. If those two supervillains get away with that platform, it could be catastrophic. As, uh, you know, they're rushing there in a very nice, like, sort of vintage-era Jeep. That's a, that's a pretty good uh, drawing cool. there by Jack Sparling. Um, it's so, like a block Jeep. A <laughs> block Jeep for the block outs. Right? <laughs> so, as, uh, you know, Bruce is saying, Eclipso can equip the platform and put it into orbit around Mother Earth using that Helio character's solar power. What? <laughs> as, I guess, in Bruce's mind's eye, he's imagining Helio, you know, pushing Eclipse into space on this platform. As, you know, imaginarily, he's saying, you know, 16,000, 17,000, 17,500 miles per hour. We've reached orbital velocity. Splendid, Helio. Jets off, says Helio, because apparently that's how he controls his, his gross back things. <laughs> um, they could then use it, you know, imagines Bruce, to dominate the whole globe, changing the, their orbit at will, strike anywhere, anytime, with Helio's fantastic solar jets, melt the polar ice caps, causing the sea level to rise and flood the whole world's coastal areas. Crops, vegetations could be destroyed by remote solar blasts. Military installations, weapons could be knocked out in seconds. Countries and governments would be blackmailed by the... By, it's like a gloomy gust there, <laughs> Bruce. Uh, countries and governments would be blackmailed by those two orbiting space bandits, as still in Bruce's, you know, mind's eye, he's imagining Eclipso, like, on a, a global screen in front of the UN, saying, Now, gentlemen, you will meet my terms without further delay. Control of all money, natural resources, and armies will be turned over to us. All scientists will labor on projects of my choosing. Good heavens, says the imaginary guy. <laughs> we have yeah. no choice, but we must oh obey. God. And attempts to destroy their orbiting blackmail base would almost certainly be doomed to failure, imagines Bruce. Calm down, Bruce. <laughs> Fools, we've spotted that missile with the electronic telescope even as it was launched. It's baby's play for Helio to maneuver the platform so I can blast it. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. Yes, fair enough. None of this has happened. <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> Oh my god, there's more. <laughs> there's more. Oh <laughs> no, the only kind of missile Earth could send against them would contain nothing but tribute. <laughs> tribute. <laughs> more scientific apparatus arriving right on schedule. By improving the instruments the platform already has, we can maintain our domination of Earth indefinitely. Eclipso, I must admit, you are a genius. Imagine so, Bruce Helio saying right. that. So as this little daydream goes away, <laughs> you know, he, he puts a plan in, in, oh into, into motion, I guess, to stop all these horrible things that could happen. You have photo flash labs inside that gondola bubble for space pictures, you know, Bruce says to this, uh, you know, scientist. Right, Dr. Gordon? Then in 30 seconds, exactly, fire them remotely, or it's a matter of life and death. <laughs> Dad, what's Bruce doing? Asks Mona and everyone else. <laughs> He's running away. Must hide quickly, says <laughs> I'm Bruce. I'm out. <laughs> you know. uh, meanwhile, you know, I guess this guy just taking Bruce Gordon's, you know, word that, you know, he needs to, to fire his, uh, Photo flash lamps, um, you know, begins a, a countdown. Uh, 28, 29, 30 seconds. And where the hijacked space platform uh, zooms along a thousand feet above the western desert, uh, you know, apparently that uh, it, it works. You know, that, that light beam uh, photo flash lamp, you know, hits him. Light! Intense light, my nemesis! Ah! <laughs> Says Eclipse, though, you know, on the platform. Um, so the next moment, you know, Helio... Still pushing along the platform. Says, Eclipso, being drawn right through the capsule shell back toward Earth. That light flash must have overcome him. Um, what in blazes is that? Says the scientist on the ground. Is that a meteor? Yes, says Bennett. A meteor, no doubt. A meteor called Eclipso, he thinks, rushing back into Bruce's body. Fast thinking boy. Oh, so that's why Bruce um. was running away so nobody could see his secret shame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bruce, are you all right? Says, you know, Mona running to his hiding place. Yes, yes, Mona. But that was the roughest return yet. Oh, because Eclipso now has merged and we didn't see it. But yeah, he must have 
Ben pulled back in. I feel like I've been hit with a long-range rocket. That was a long range. There you are, Dr. Gordon, says a uh, you know scientist. They, they've gotten away. We've notified the Air Force to head them off, recapture the space platform. Good, says Bruce, but I'm afraid normal planes and weapons won't be too effective against that solar being. So shortly, in a copter borrowed from the Space Center, I don't know why they're trusting him with it, given the fact that he just crashed one. I right. don't know. Um, we see the trio you know, head off. Oh, Bruce, think what might have happened if you hadn't returned Eclipso to your body. Yes, says Bruce. Without Eclipso's genius, Helio won't be able to succeed in their incredible plot. Um, I'm just thinking, I, you know, it's a shame that I have to go to this length to explain what it is I'm reading here to myself, but I'm speculating that perhaps Bruce imagined all that stuff and knows that Helio is doomed, you know, to, to failure without Eclipso because... As a shared body, he yeah. knows what Eclipso's thinking. I, I think that has to be the assumption it's, that it's we, gotta be. Uh, I mean, either that or the fact that it's a Bob Haney story and little and no. <laughs> nothing ever makes sense in these. Um, so, so let's continue on and uh, you know see if uh, this gets any better. <laughs> As, uh, you know, we go to a distant shot then of the helicopter. You know, with the word balloons coming out from it. He's still a threat on the loose with a space platform. They're talking about Helio. We yeah. must find him. But how? We don't know where Eclipso's latest hideout is located. Uh, so soon, a massive all-out search takes place, you know, as we see, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, fighter death scattering. Easy one to easy seven. Spot anything? Nothing easy one. Sky's a blank. That's, <laughs> that's what fighter pilots generally sound like. Yeah. <laughs> so, home safely, says uh, Helio, you know, uh, still pushing along the space platform. My terrific speed blurred those pilots' eyes, and my cosmic ray emanations jammed their radar. I must free Eclipso so we can begin Operation Earth. Free Eclipso again? Can this newborn solar demon really release Eclipso? Will the two bizarre inhuman beings actually blackmail good old Earth? Not if Prince Rama and Mind Master can help it. Read the smashing conclusion in part two. Come on, Raw Man, save the day, save yeah, the save, save the story. I <laughs> <laughs> no, um, just a quick note. Um, you know, this uh, story ends on a sort of you know two thirds uh, you know page break. You know, with the the bottom third being an advertisement for uh, the corresponding you know sister title here, House of Mystery, and uh, they're saying new, the most original comic character in history, Robbie Reed, the boy who can change into a thousand superheroes. All he has to do is dial H for hero. So wait, he has that fantastic power, but he needs to be near a phone? No, 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 no. What the deal is, is he doesn't have a fantastic power at all. What he has is a fantastic dial. He finds this little artifact, you know, see that little thing there? Oh. And uh, and so he dials, you know, these glyphs that correspond, I guess, to, you know, English letters, you know, sort of H-E-R-O. And as he does so, he turns into various superheroes. So that's that's the the hook of that, that series, basically, is that each issue, you know, you see a brand new superhero, you know, like in this one, we see Giant Boy and, you know, like, you know, Mole Man or, you know, whatever. Mole Man? <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I, can't, I can't, it's tiny writing. I can't read it. But uh, um, similar, you know, to House of Secrets, um, you know, how there were two co-features, right? You know, we have Eclipso and, you know, Mark Merlin slash mm -hmm. Raw Man. Yeah. Well, so Robbie Reed here, you know, Dial H for Hero, was the newly introduced co-feature for Martian Manhunter. Okay, so I'm just going to tie a couple oh, oh, different okay. strings into it. So Martian Manhunter was originally a backup in Detective Comics because he was a detective. But when I was talking about last week, the new look Batman, they were getting rid of all the sci-fi. Right. They're like, let's get rid of John Jones out of Detective. He doesn't belong there. Right. Let's put him in House of Mystery. So, like I say, similar to this title. So Robbie Reed and Martian Manhunter, you know, back to back. And then they replaced, you know, him in Detective with Elongated Man. 
Okay. So it, uh, so everybody's happy, except for House of Secrets, which the sales are plummeting through the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they'll be canceled. Okay. So let's turn to part two. Uh, Prince Raman, Mind Master, battles Helio, the Sun Demon, and Eclipso. As we see, uh, in a distant city, a horrified audience watching a newsreel made by continuous-run cameras that captured the terrifying happenings at Space Center Zebra West. Oh, what power, says the audience. Fantastic. Nothing can stop that. Nothing. As we see, you know, on the newsreel, uh, you know, Helio with the, uh, the sort of space platform, you know, he's zooming across the, you know, the sky at Space Station Zebra West. What a bummer. We got a newsreel and I do not get to use my newsreel man voice. No. <laughs> There's no narration on it. <laughs> it seems kind of empty. <laughs> In any case, the movie finishes and, you know, the, uh, the rabble continues. What's going to happen? Why isn't the government doing anything? We'll all be destroyed. As we uh, look in the audience and we see uh, two familiar faces. That is uh, Prince Raman, you know, there in his, uh, you know, fetching pastel green shirt. And, uh, <laughs> and then off to his right is uh, Miss Elsa. Um, so as uh, our narration tells us that only one face remains calm, only one voice speaks without trembling, and that is Prince Raman, Mind Master, Lord of the Powers of the Six-Sided Sun. Raman, says Elsa, where are we going? <laughs> First to call Washington, D.C., Elsa, and then directly to Space Station Zebra West, if only I'm not too late. So shortly, you know, at the Space Center, we see our, our, our duo arrive. Washington said to give you full cooperation, Prince Raman, says the scientist, but I don't see how black magic can help this emergency. Ooh, he must be armed with the E-chain. Right, I didn't realize. <laughs> Check, says uh, you know, some standby general. That Helio character is burning pure hydrogen at 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Our search hasn't turned up his hideout. Black magic, says... Uh, I was going to call him Mark Merlin. Black magic, <laughs> says Prince Raman, as you quaintly put it, gentlemen, is not what I use. Now, here's where Helio's blowtorch jets scorch the desert sand, melting it and even forming some of it into glass, like this piece, says Raman, you know, picking up a piece of desert glass. Now, to use the powers of the six-sided sun, aided by your own sun, from which Helio sprang, and see what this glass debris reveals. As, uh, you know, he pulls out his little six-sided, you know, amulet there and sort of focuses a sunbeam onto this, uh, you know, this desert glass. Great rockets, you know, says uh, Raman, apparently seeing a little vision inside that glass of Helio. Inside that slight chunk, a picture of that Helio character. Amazing. Prince Raman, says the general, where are you going? To stop him, I hope. Come, Elsa. As they, uh, you know, take off toward the... Uh, Jalopy. <laughs> Why does he even need a car if he's like, you know, master of the mind? Why doesn't he just like will himself to levitate over to the scene? I guess because of Elsa? <laughs> oh, because of Elsa, of course. Yeah. So, anyway, moments later, roaring over the twisted mountain roads, how did you conjure up that image of Helio, Raman? I didn't, Elsa. The six sided sun did it because that glass chunk was made by Helio's own emanations and his whereabouts were thus revealed by forecasting the wavelengths of those emanations from the past to the present. So as we see the car reach a uh, pass between two great desert mesas, uh, you know, they pull over. Why are we stopping here, Raman? asks Elsa. We have a rendezvous, Elsa. If my recognition of certain landmarks on the way here was correct, our friend Helio should be passing overhead right about now, as they look up. And indeed, you know, there's Helio passing over right about then. Oh, it's him. <laughs> it's that awful <laughs> sun demon, says Elsa. Let's just see how tough a foe I'm facing, says Raman. I'll focus my mental beam at the air just ahead of him. As, you know, Raman blasts out his, uh, his third eye beam. So as Raman aims his unique power, that of mind over matter, at the air, a giant net is formed. A great trap across the sky before me, says Helio. Immediately, the incandescent menace reacts to the threat in his path with a uh, 
vazoosh, <laughs> which is the sound made by his gross back protuberance blasts. Yeah, it's not My jets, they blast the metallic net, but nothing happens. As I suspected, it has to be an illusion. A real trap would have been consumed by my jets. There, there below is the one who made that illusion. So puny an enemy challenges Helio, he will suffer for his arrogance. And so, like a blazing meteor, the silver being plunges down, down toward Raman and Elsa. Raman, he's attacking us! <laughs> don't, don't move a step, Elsa. You can't escape those hydrogen jets. Our only chance is to use my mental beam to change that rocky pinnacle into a natural stone bridge. As indeed, you know, Raman blasts the, uh, you know, sort of craggy, you know, uh, rock sticking out and, and, you know, makes a, uh, you know, sort of like cobblestone, you know, uh, makeshift bridge o over top of their heads. Now, if that can only protect us long enough so we can reach that cave. Hurry, Elsa! Was, uh, they start dashing off, but, um, you know, Helio is, starts blasting the uh, the bridge with a zoochwam. <laughs> is that also coming from his back yeah, Well, everything comes from his back, yeah, but it's just this strange sound effect, zooch. <laughs> so he continues chasing them as they, they dive into a cave, you know, and the, the bridge collapses with a crack rumble. Raman, the bridge is collapsing, says Elsa. The next instant. Closer than that, they don't come, says Raman, as, you know, his uh, his bridge comes crumbling down, you know, nearly squashing the two of them. Oh, says Elsa, you know, as the, <laughs> the bridge falls with a ram. <laughs> then, you know, as the, uh, the rocks have sort of barred the way out of the cave, you know, Helio says, Sealed up by his own puny sorcery, that fool. I have no more time to waste on him. Eclipso must be freed from the prison of Dr. Bruce Gordon's body. In case they ever escape that cave, I'll just consume their vehicle so there'll be no further trouble to me. As, you know, Helio blasts their cars and bursts into flame. So, a few minutes pass, uh, but then breaking the mountain silence, you know, Raman blasts the, uh, those rocks that were barring his way, you know, just uh, opening up the, the, the cave door again. Helio's gone, says Raman, so it's safe to exit after my thought beam unseals the cave by making those boulders light as corks. But Raman, the car, we're stuck here. Uh, but shortly after, you know, as a rancher searching for strays by helicopter passes over, you know, we see the uh, split this? rail, split rail ranch helicopter, you know, zooming in, and as you know, Elsa and Raman wave him down. Good, that whirly bird will get us to where we can get on Helio's trail again. Whirly bird, whirly bird. And Elsa says, "But where is he now? He has a terrific head start on us." Uh, County airfield below, folks. Says the uh, helicopter pilot, you know, wearing a, a cool sort of rancher hat. You can get your plane down there. Excellent, says Raman. Many thanks. Now, Elsa, to use that same glass fragment to follow Helio's current movements. As he pulls out, you know, his little <laughs> desert shard and, you know, and sees the current image of Helio. There he is. That's the place he's landing, near the ruins of Solar City, the humanitarian project the famous Dr. Bruce Gordon built that was wrecked by Eclipso. Come on, Elsa. We've got to reach Gordon in time. Yes, but what about the famed scientist? You know, asks our narration. In the vast lab complex beneath the ruins of Solar City, you know, we see him and, you know, his, his usual support network there of uh, Mona Honey and, uh, and her <laughs> father, Simon Bennett. Two days, Bruce, says Simon, and not a sign of Helio showing up anywhere. What do you think it means? Trouble, Professor. Something tells me that Eclipso's little helper will be heard from again. Maybe the specially designed heliograph will help us trace him down. But as he, uh, you know, fires up the, uh, the heliograph, suddenly, hold on, the heliograph's oscilloscope, it's acting up like crazy. Helio, he's nearby. Good stars, says uh, Dr. Bennett. How could he be? Uh, but the next moment, a telltale glow fills the room. Ah, oh, says Mona. He's here, burning right through that wall. 
Ha ha ha! Greetings, Dr. Gordon. I cannot make the heavens answer my command to call forth Eclipso, but by using that disc to eclipse my jet's light, perhaps I can free him once more temporarily anyhow. That's a lot of extra word. Anyhow, you see the thing I said, Dr. <laughs> Bruce Gordon, for, forthwith, ergo. <laughs> Look out, Bruce, he's creating an artificial eclipse, says Bennett, you know, as... Uh, Helios, you know, gross back things, you know, move that, move that disc to, to you know, uh, eclipse the jet's light, apparently. What jet? <laughs> I don't even understand what's going on here. But in any case, you know, he blacks out some, uh, you know, source of light. Um, but uh, as Professor Bennett's warning comes too late, because indeed, Bruce is changing directly into Eclipso, you know, so whatever sort of, you know, artificial mini eclipse happens there, I guess is enough because we see, you know, Eclipso arising from uh, uh, Bruce Gordon's body. As the next moment, I'll stop you, you fiend, says Bennett, you know, as uh, as Eclipso clocks him out. Hurry, Eclipso, says Helio. We've work to do. Operation Earth needs your genius. Be right with you, my impetuous friend. First to forestall a pursuit. So, uh, you know, forestalling that, the uh, the two of them take off to the sky as two new arrivals reach the lab entrance. As we see uh, Raman and Elsa pull up in the same car. Did he repair that or did he just buy, buy another one? <laughs> I guess he repaired it. He, yeah, he must have used his mind over matter to put out the flames and, like, you know, undo any damage. But anyway, uh, the two of them arrive as Elsa's like, Raman, look, Helio and Eclipso, just as I feared. Helio's rejoined forces with him, but Gordon, we must see what's happened to him. So, rushing down into the lab complex, you know, we see Raman arrive saying, Professor Bennett, I'm Prince Raman, Mind Master. Perhaps you heard of me. Dr. Gordon, where is he? Why, er, he's gone. Hasn't been here. Bruce, oh, my poor darling, says Mona. He's changed again. I can't bear it. She's delirious, says Bennett, overwrought. Isn't making any sense. <laughs> Indeed, the look on her face is just completely like... Yeah, yeah, at a loss. Yeah, like dumbfounded or whatever. My special powers and senses tell me she does not lie, Professor. They also tell me a startling fact, that Bruce Gordon is Eclipso, is his other self. I, uh... Uh, no use hiding Dr. Gordon's secret from you, raw man. I know of your great reputation and powers. Yes, Eclipso is Bruce's other split identity. Helio, this time, transformed Bruce into Eclipso by an artificial eclipse. It's only a temporary effect, but Bruce will be Eclipso's prisoner, and when a real eclipse occurs, Eclipso will split off permanently. If they get that stolen space platform into orbit, it'll be a world disaster. I know, Professor, says raw man, but we are going to stop them. Observe this piece of glass, says raw man, you know, pulling out his shard. So, not long after, as a boat touches the beach of a desolate island, you know, we see our quartet arrive there, you know, Mona and her dad and, you know, Elsa and, and Raman. What a fabulous spot for a hideout, says Mona. A Navy bomb range. No wonder we never found Eclipso's secret lab. You sure that glass image didn't lie? They'll be here, Professor, says Raman. Both those villains. Oh, I thought the word balloon was coming from Mona. <laughs> it's like not at all pointing to the Professor. Um, but suddenly, you know, great novas, as they look to the sky, Eclipso and Helio with the stolen platform, they're heading for orbit. I must try to stop them now, says Raman, before they can gain altitude, and while Helio's jets still must fight Earth's gravity. But as the Mind Master's unique mental beam leaps across the space between him and the accelerating platform, uh, Helio makes short work. That sorcerer again, but the aura of my cosmic ray emanations protect the platform from any of his magic. Raman, you know, points Bennett up to the sky, it didn't work. They're escaping, gaining altitude. One last chance, says Raman. I must use the six-headed sun symbol itself to defeat them. As, uh, you know, he blasts his little belt amulet there, you know, with his mind beam, and, uh, you know, sort of replicates into, you know, multiple versions of itself, and, and each one begins growing. As, uh, you know, in his mind, you know, he thinks, you know, some sort of oath. 
world of Ra, give this disc the strength of the great six-sided sun itself. In the name of old Imhotep, creator of the seven miracles, master of all who would serve truth, justice, and great Isis. Imhotep. Oh, no, no, no. I was thinking um, the last story I read was Zatanna, when Zatara pulled up. But that guy's name was Amenhotep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is Imhotep. Maybe they're related. (laughs) So (laughs) across the barriers of space and time from the world of Ra, the mind master draws increased powers and... Rahman, no, you'll be killed, says Elsa. Better to die here defending this world, says Rahman, you know, mounting one of, one of these, you know, uh, giant six-sided sun discs, than live here in shameful servitude. Farewell, lovely Elsa. So, as the disc zooms like some sort of ancient glittering shield up toward the speeding platform, Helio, it's Rahman, stop him. We <laughs> must get the platform into orbit to use the instruments and the weapons I've protected. Your face changes when you do that. <laughs> Just so you guys all know. It's the evil. It's overtaking me. <laughs> so the raw man, you know, approaches them with a with a zoosh. A blast of my powers will melt that flying disc, Eclipso, you know, counters uh, Helio. But as the sun demon turns his hydrogen jets against the intrepid mind master, Raman steers those searing blasts like a hawk, says Eclipso. He's almost on us. I cannot aim more accurately since I must keep the platform headed toward orbit, says uh, Helio. Then, as Rahman hurtles in toward the rising platform, a shower of black light will discourage him. But, uh, you know, Rahman counters with a, with a mind blast, as in the next instant, My diamond turning to a sooty opaque cinder! I'm disarmed! As Eclipso says with a uh, rather gross-looking face. Yeah. <laughs> Bernard Bailey really uglying him up. So as all this is going on, you know, Helio's trying to salvage. Eclipso, he's too close. I cannot use my jets without hitting the platform. Keep accelerating, Helio, says Eclipso. I will deal with this fool. And uh, and to deal with him, Eclipso leaps onto the six-sided sun disc and, uh, you know, begins grappling with Rahman. My strength is greater than any human. How can you hope to win? You know, Eclipso challenges Rahman. You'll find, Eclipso, that I'm no ordinary mortal. Now, perhaps a punch used by the ancient Egyptian warriors against giant Sudanese foes will fail you. As, uh, you know, he busts out, you know, this anti-Sudanese punch, you know, and hits Eclipso with a thud. Ah! (laughs) Says Eclipso, (laughs) quite evilly. Uh, So as the master of evil slumps onto the disc, Rahman directs it above the now-streaming platform, you know, toward Helio. That infernal sorcerer! He's cutting me off from my solar radiation, and I'm receiving his green suns instead! My powers are fading! As, as then, I'm fading, dying, uh, says Helio, indeed, <laughs> fading away. As I suspected, says Rahman, without the sun's power, Helio's wicked life ends. The platform, says uh, Rahman, looking up. Great Isis, it'll be destroyed, unless a quick change can save it. As, uh, you know, he blasts it with his uh, mind beam and, and makes a quick change, because once more his fabulous powers work, and he turns it into a giant leaf, says Elsa, settling gently to Earth. But Rahman, where's he? And Bruce, says Mona. I mean, Eclipso, what's happened to him? Oh, you're not fooling anybody, Mona. <laughs> the fears of the watchers below are answered shortly, as, uh, you know, Rahman lands his six-sided disc, you know, to the uh, relief of all. Rahman, says Elsa, you're safe and you've won. Yes, Elsa, and now to convert that leaf back to its original form, the stolen space platform. The threat to blackmail Earth is ended. Eclipso, says Mona, he's beginning to change back to Bruce. Change back to him? Shouldn't he be absorbed back into it? Hmm. <laughs> but uh, apparently disregarding, you know, these inconsistent powers, you know, a short while later, you know, as uh, 
Eclipso has quote-unquote changed back into Bruce. Raw man, however can I repay you? asked Bruce. However can Earth repay you for what you've done? No need to, Dr. Gordon, replies Raw man. Though I came from another world, I love this one as much. And never fear, your secret remains safe with Elsa and me. Zowie, says the narration. <laughs> we told you it would be a corker. <laughs> if you dig Eclipso tangling with Prince Rahman in future Smash issues, write us now at DC's House of Secrets. You know, 575 Lexington Avenue, da 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 New York, New York. Blah. <laughs> what? So if we don't write them, then this <laughs> will happen Yes, again. right. No one write them. No one write them. <laughs> <laughs> so, which I think, you know, we'd have to send it back in time anyway. So... Uh, the only saving grace then is this two ends on a two-third page, and you know our our final ad here is a uh, a recall of one we had seen you know earlier uh, in in our Zatanna coverage. You know the uh, the Spectre. Do not skip this ad, or you'll miss the greatest comic book spectacular. Oh, spectacular! It says. Oh, in, I totally in over that. twenty years, the Spectre's coming closer, closer, closer. He's here, and I'm just we're gonna keep teasing that out. Sooner or later, we're gonna do Spectre. Well, it goes on sale soon. It's <laughs> November. November. Okay, so just yeah. everybody we'll, wait. We'll get it. By November, we'll do, we'll <laughs> cover the Spectre. Um, so that is it for our you know horrible team up here of uh, Bruce Gordon and you know the the former Mark Merlin. Um, let's just, you know, put this behind us <laughs> and move directly on to the, the part of the show that, that we did advertise, the uh, the coverage of Batman. <laughs> Does that, that sound more palatable to you? Yes. 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 Okay. All right. So this is going to be a bit of an experiment. Um, we're not quite sure how this is going to work. So, you know, give us the benefit of the doubt, you know, for our first audio commentary. Um, but I think what we're going to do here is um, just, you know, pull up the episode here on the computer screen and we'll watch it and then, you know, sort of make comments, you know, a, a, as we go through. Um before we begin, I probably should give a little bit of background on the show itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think most people are probably familiar, you know, with the the old uh, Adam West, you know, Batman TV show. Um, but just for anybody who's coming into this new, uh, it was a huge phenomenon, uh, you know, beginning in 1966. Like I mentioned a couple times on this show, you know, Batmania basically, you know, swept the nation. Uh, very sort of like day-glow, very sort of campy, humorous take, you know, on the on the Batman story. Uh, the reason for that basically had to do with the uh, the producer. Um, Batman had sort of been in the works, you know, as far as um, a TV production for a couple of years. Uh, initially, it was um, CBS Network had, had optioned it, and their original thought was to basically do a show like the old um, Adventures of Superman, or like, you know, kind of like the Lone Ranger type thing. Kind mm-hmm. of like an action adventure show, you know, sort of with, with a juvenile bent. Um, but for one reason or another, you know, that sort of languished in, you know, production hell for a couple of years and never really uh, came to any sort of fruition. Yeah. Um, so DC got the rights back and, uh, you know, began uh, negotiating with another network, uh, ABC, you mm-hmm. know, for something a little bit different. And um, what ABC kind of wanted was something a little more hip, a little more modern. Um, kind of what they had in mind was like, you, you ever see uh, The Man from U.N.C.L.E.? You know, sort of like, you know, that sort of hip spy show or whatever. I think I've seen an episode or two of that. Yeah, like on this TV or yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, so, yeah, so they kind of wanted something a little more, you know, they captured the kind of like that Bond ethic, you know, type yeah. thing. Um, so they gave the project to a producer called uh, William Dozier, who um, previously had done some like little kids space ranger type things, you know, like, you know, like, you know, Captain Video type thing. Like, it's not that, <laughs> but like things like that. Uh-huh. Um, so they gave it to him. And uh, so interesting thing, you know, I was reading up a little bit on him and he had never read a comic book in his life. He said that his parents, you know, growing up didn't allow him to have comic books. Really? So, yeah. So he was unfamiliar, you know, with the, a lot of the, the tropes or whatever. So what he did is he went out and, um, you know, bought 
uh, you know, a couple issues of Batman off the stands. Uh -huh. And, you know, as we had talked about um, prior to the new look, they were very sort of like wacky, just out there, sort of sci-fi infused type things. Um, so when he got this, he's like, I have no idea how to, how to convert this to a TV show. He's like, the only thing that I could possibly think is, you know, I could camp it up, basically take it, make it almost like a comedy type thing. He's like, because that's the only way that these like flashy day glow colors in my mind would translate to the screen. Um, so, so he was looking at it with his adult eyes, his adult not eyes, having exactly. a child's background. Yeah. So uh, interesting. Yeah. So he, you know, came with this take or whatever. And, you know, I guess the stars aligned, you know, getting, you know, a, a couple people who were sympathetic to that cause and a couple actors, you know, who were able to pull off that style, as, as we'll see as we go into this episode. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, like I say, it all clicked, you know, and it just sort of hit that zeitgeist. And, and you know, within just a couple weeks, the whole thing blew up. Um, the way that they, uh, you know, would air this, it would be sort of a Big Bang type thing. They or not Big Bang Theory or whatever. Oh. <laughs> I was saying like a Big Bang release. Basically, yeah. they went they went all in. You know, they said um, what we're going to do is air this twice a week. Um, you know, it's, we're going to take each hour long episode and divide it into two half hour episodes, end each one on a cliffhanger. Uh, we'll run the first part on, you know, Wednesday night, uh -huh. and then carry it over, and then you know have the the exciting conclusion on Thursday night. And, uh, you know, within just a couple weeks, like I say, you know, it, it just, it, people went crazy for it. Um, they started big with, uh, you know, some of the more costumed villains. Uh, the first, um, you know, two-pair two episode, you know, so the first week was uh, the Riddler, uh, who was, you know, Frank Gorshin, you know, you see you know, that sort of very big, um, you know, theatrical style, you know, so right away, you know, it was name and face recognition and people loved it. Uh, following week was, you know, Burgess Meredith with the Penguin and then Cesar Romero with the Joker. So mm -hmm. right there, you know, you had three of the big, you know, classic uh, uh, villains. Uh, Catwoman, they didn't have um, for a little while. I think she was like episode 10. I think she finally came in. Uh, but the next one was uh, Mr. Freeze actually was the, the fourth week who was played by uh, George Sanders, who you would probably best know as uh, the voice of uh, Sher Khan. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and then that brings us to week five, which is um, where we're going to take a look at tonight. And like I said, the reason that we're taking a look at this specific episode is because, you know, Batman villains overall are not very magic-y. Um, right. So when I took a look, you know, at the uh, uh, Wikipedia page or whatever and sort of scrolled through, you know, one did jump out at me. Not traditional magician, there's no real magic or whatever, but there is one villain um, called Zelda the Great, uh, uh -huh. who is a uh, sort of stage illusionist or whatever. Uh -huh. So I thought, you know, if we were going to talk about, you know, um, the 60s TV show, that would probably be the, the most appropriate, you know, two-part episode that we would look at. Um, so what I was thinking, like, tonight we will go ahead and, you know, do part one, the, uh, the eponymously titled Zelda the Great. And then on our next episode, you know, similar to the way it was broadcast, we'll leave tonight on a cliffhanger and then follow up, <laughs> you know, with part two, which then would be a death worse than fate. Um, Dr. Fate? Yeah, Dr. Fate, no. <laughs> um, so, so, okay. So, like I say, a bit of an experiment here. Let me go ahead and, uh, and launch the episode here. And, um, you know, then we will uh, we'll just see how this goes. Okay. Batman! <laughs> we begin, you know, with the uh, the logo. All right. So what do we got? Panning over the city. Gotham City by night. And traffic with no traffic lights. A quiet, peaceful night in Gotham City, except at the First National Bank. So this narrator, yeah. by the way, um, I mentioned William Dozier, the producer. Yeah. This is his voice. 
He does oh. all the narration. Yeah, that what's this? That's that's William Dozier. All right. So we see we see a bank robber. Bank robber in the vault. The guard busts in. Hands up. Oh, look, it's your favorite Golden Age Sandman. Suck face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks oh. like his gun didn't work. Yeah, so they, we have the bank robber just clocked the uh, the guard. And we cut to uh, Commissioner Gordon's office, and he is not pleased by this. No, he is reaming them out. Apparently the bank robber has made off with a uh, 100 grand, and, uh, and this isn't the first time. Every April 1st, uh, Chief O'Hara is saying that this happens for three years running. It's looking all sheepish there. Yeah. <laughs> Commissioner Gordon upbraiding the uh, the cops. Do you know what that reminds me of? What's that? Remember the army? Remember the inspections? Oh, he's, yeah, he's going up and down. He's yeah. The line. Pacing, the judgment. Uh, this is an actor, uh, Neil Hamilton is the guy who plays... Um, uh, Commissioner Gordon. He's just a sort of old-time actor. I, I don't know that... I used to think that he was a, a voice actor. He, for some reason, I, I, I remind him... Or he reminds me of a guy on the old Jay Ward cartoons, but I think I might be confusing him with uh, Everett Horton. Um, but similar type style, just sort of, you know, um, Golden Age type actor. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. So they've decided they can't solve this case on their own, so they need to go to the Bat Phone. So I'm curious. Why is the Bat Phone, do you think... Underneath, like, a, a cake dish kind of <laughs> A cake thing. dish? I don't know. So, and then on the other end of the phone, now we cut to the... Uh, stately sta Wayne Manor. <laughs> stately Wayne Manor. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. We see, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne and, and uh, Dick Grayson up on the uh, the roof stargazing with Alfred. Um, so you remember... Like, I, seriously, like, there's a telescope there. Yeah, and so you'll recall from last episode, I said, you know, Alfred, his inclusion on this show is what brought yeah. about, you know, his resurrection in the comics. Yeah, well, good, because uh, the show would be totally different. Oh, and speaking of such, here we have Aunt Harriet. Aunt Harriet, right. They get the uh, the one-two punch, you know, with the uh, the male and female My, authority she figures. My, she's matronly. Uh-oh. Uh you have the bat signal. But, uh, that is so iconic. But they uh, they can't respond to it because they're in front of, you know, Aunt Harriet. They need to make some... Isn't that the Lame famous... excuse. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. Where's the excuse? Yeah, Alfred's pushing him. Commissioner Gordon must wish the services of the dynamic duo, sir. Ahem, ahem. <laughs> Wonder who that is. Oh, yeah, she just said the unknown uh, Batman. Yeah, but Bruce is cleverly making an excuse. Here it is. Yeah, Wednesday night at the Gotham Town Hall, they got tickets to that lecture on Latin American affairs. Sweet, I am in. <laughs> <laughs> so they dash off. And uh, tell Aunt Harriet not to worry about supper. They will have some good hot pancakes later. <laughs> wow. That's like your ideal meal. <laughs> That's right. Supper, supper, remember, was it breakfast or supper? <laughs> oh. This, uh, Alfred and Harriet yeah. interaction. Alfred is a, uh, he's an actor, uh, Alan Napier. He, a um, little bit of trivia or whatever. He's actually, I believe... Charles Dickens' great-great-grandson, believe it or not. Really? I, I believe so. And uh, and then on the other end, I think his grandson or like step-grandson is uh, Mike from the Partridge family, the, the youngest boy, the drummer. <laughs> I was going to say it's a nice pedigree until you said that. So there's uh, Bruce and Dick off to the bat poles. That are labeled Bruce and Dick. And here we have there our iconic credit sequence, the uh, sort of animated sock pal. This, um, That's like a term. <laughs> give him the old sock pal. 
this art style is uh, not the modern new look Batman. This sort of you know calls back to you know the classic sort of um, uh, 1950s artwork. It just kind of reminds me of an artist, uh, Dick Sprang, I think you know, or like uh, or even the original guy, Bob Kane. You know, has some elements of him here too. Uh huh. So, but I like this kind of stuff. It's like it's it's very clean. Yeah. And, and like I say, very sort of day-glow, too. I mean, yeah. this is 60s up the wazoo. Absolutely. So executive producer, William Dozier. And uh, cutting back to the action, we find ourselves in the Bat Cave. Bat Cave. But it looks like a lab to me. Like, What's that say? The I can't read it yet. Chemical, but everything in here is labeled. Chemical research material, right? Yes, everything has a label on it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's fantastic. So Bruce and Dick now in costume, jump into the Batmobile. You know, I never noticed, but they just did a close-up on the license plate, and you would have thought that, like, maybe it'd say something like Bat Cave or something like that, but no, it's a regular license plate from Gotham City. Yeah, I know, right? You totally like, track them down. So, Bruce Wayne, why do you? Why is the Batmobile registered under you? <laughs> All right, so they have dashed off to uh, police headquarters, and we see the title card, Zelda the Great, with special guest villainess Anne Baxter as Zelda. Written by Lorenzo Semple, who is, uh, I think, throughout the series, he is the, the primary writer. All right. So, what are they looking at? A clue. They're looking the at a fabric. slug from the um, oh. from the bank robbery. I thought they were looking at the cloth. Well, so, no, yeah, and so it's the slug, but it's got cloths on it, you know, but they came back and their lab report was negative. But Batman will take it anyway. Our own equipment in the Batcave might be able to reduce a clue. <laughs> 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 So, so they're trying to figure out motive. There's a hundred thousand smackers. Why exactly a hundred thousand and leave another half million untouched? Yeah, really. That's a strange thing. Mm. Why, Batman? And Commissioner Gordon's like, same pattern every year, hundred thousand every April first. O'Hara Brainiac thinks he has an idea. It's to pay his income tax. Yeah. <laughs> probably that. And Batman's not having it. A loyal taxpayer robbing a bank? He doesn't buy it. I, <laughs> <laughs> Batman, when you put it that way, I wish I could do a brogue. <laughs> <laughs> so they're up against a blank wall. Not even a single lead. I never notice his bat ears. What about him? Like, they're just like, they almost look like they're stuck onto the costume. And they also look like arrows going up. Yeah. Well, you have a bit of like, you know, um, sewing experience. How would you do that? Is that like, is that reinforced inside there or something? It, it probably is. Yeah. I mean, even though that doesn't move around a lot, like I imagine that's got reinforced stitching on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, little little costume thing since we're talking about that. That yellow circle there around his bat. Yeah, I was just uh, going to ask about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So that is part of the, the quote unquote new look. Like I said, you know, they had sort of revamped Batman. Uh, one of the things visually, at least they did, is um, that bat used to just sort of be a flat black thing on his costume. Uh-huh. Uh, Julius Schwartz sort of added that yellow circle. Um, Make it pop. Yeah. And then, you know, in concert with this TV show, they were basically done at the same time. So a lot of those looks then were carried across. Uh-huh. Um, so what do we see? Um, they, so we're on a street now. We're now on a street. A newspaper vendor you know, has a fake headline. Basically, Batman called the uh, newspaper to run a story that the, uh, the money that was stolen was counterfeit. And uh, in the background, what do we got? Yeah, I'm looking at a a poster for Zelda the Great, who is looking suspiciously like a belly dancer in chains. She's the world's foremost escape artiste. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, that's very reminiscent of a 60s belly dancer outfit because they weren't allowed to actually show the belly button. Oh, yeah, like like Jeannie, actually. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly like that. So now we're wow. back in the back cave as they are uh, analyzing the fibers under the hyper, what was it, the hyperspectrograph analyzer? I think it was, yeah. yeah. So, and they're finding fibers on the bullet. And Silk. what is Robin looking through? That's part of the spectrograph. <laughs> so, so Thir- 13 layers of brightly colored silk, they're saying, is on the bullet. Okay, and just so you guys know, it was the dance of the seven veils, not the 13 veils. <laughs> Which is not actually a belly dancer. All right. Well, in my mind, she is. So, stumper. And there's some organic material on it. Ambergris, I said, which is, you mean that smelly, oily stuff they use in making perfume? Says Robin. Correct again, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> the crook was a lady, they come to. Hardly a lady, but a female, yes. Catwoman? Oh, that's interesting. So, like I said, Catwoman wasn't even on the show yet, you know, but they have. They're prepping the audience for it. reference, yeah. So they're facing some new super criminal, not in their crime file, they've, uh, they've decided. Now, the bat phone. Now, I, when I was younger and I, I was watching what must have, I guess, a rebroadcast of the show, I never noticed that the bat phone looked weird. But clearly we can see that it's just, um, it's like a molded plastic red phone with a white light bulb inside of it. Yeah, like a little tea light or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, like I say, as a child, yeah, I never would have picked up on that. They um, used to watch these in syndication as a kid. You know, they would yeah. actually, like, all week long just, you know, play them. So they got the fake newspaper now. They're down in the back cave. They're, they're very pleased that their uh, their ruse has worked. And Alfred is hoping that they're leaving soon so he can clean up. <laughs> oh, the dusting, the vacuuming. <laughs> Good man, Alfred. Batman and Robin commenting on the story just the way he dictated it. Yeah. Oh boy! Oh, that's great, Robin. So, all right. So they're hoping that the uh, the female is going to take the bait now to make this planted story sprout. We cut to commercial and come back outside the gnome bookstore. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking bookstore, there looks the secret workshop of a strange Albanian genius. <laughs> Sounds spooky already. Evil Ekdal, apparently his name. Evil, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's spelled like with an O, like Evil or something. And so we see this strange Albanian genius, you know, flipping through the, the cash. We know he's evil because... Sorry to be late, says uh, a woman coming in. In uh, orange. And a puff of orange smoke as well. Yes. She's looking very fancy, very bouffant hair. Who is that? That's Ann Baxter. Just one sec, though. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Zelda. Right. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So, Evil Ekdal has the money that apparently she stole. Stop taunting me. So, what's going on? All right. So, she stole this hundred grand and she gives it to him every year to pay your price. And she's been crying. And Evil's like, poor Zelda. His name's not Evil. Evil. Well, <laughs> evil. <Evolve. laughs> She hates robbing banks, but she has to do it. Oh, well, poor thing. Yeah, all she ever wanted to be was a poor but honest magician. And she's wiping her, her tears. I don't know. She doesn't look too sincere to me. <laughs> Evil's mocking her. Oh, oh yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. And that's her, her, her crocodile tears. She basically like, you glycerin know. Glycerin tears. Glycerin. Let's talk sensibly. 
What's she going to do? <laughs> oh, there's, there's her 37 layers of fabric yep. right now. She's pulling out the sort of magician's, you know, cloth out of her pocket, the endless cloth. Yeah, out of a fantastically tailored dress. I don't know how she got all of those in there. Yeah. Eva all is uh, almost looking like he's taunting her a little bit. So he had it all prepared for her. What did he have prepared? Most insipid. Uh, oh, okay. The, the, the escape of I, Yes. Uh, all right. So apparently, Evil Ekdal is a manufacturer of uh, illusionist escape devices, and she buys them from him apparently for a hundred grand a year. So he is the genius. She is the performer. Right. It seems like a rather high risk to take, though. <laughs> like, like how? Like, unless you're making a hundred grand off this trick, why would you spend? Uh, why would you rob a hundred grand just to get it? Well, I think as, uh, you know, because we both watched this as we were kids and we probably weren't thinking about $100,000 and, you know, what kind of value that actually has. So he's pulled back a curtain and there's his, this year's escape device. Basically Good Lord. a big unbreakable plastic uh, cage with a, with a huge lock on the outside of it. And he just demonstrated that, you know, with a, a machine gun. Yeah, and it uh, didn't even dent or anything. Uh, and he's taking off this uh, extremely <laughs> large padlock. So, so Zelda oh can go inside. I don't know if I'd go inside. Yeah, I know, really. <laughs> like, you just ripped off a hundred grand. Like, you know, maybe you wouldn't want to get inside the evil genius's trap. <laughs> well, yeah, well, what's worse is that, like, he just said, hey, that money was counterfeit. Yeah. And uh, so additionally, you know, in addition to the unbreakable glass, apparently it also lets out gas from an iron grill in the trap door. And she's trying to figure out how one would escape. You know, obviously I escaped through that grill. And he's like, well, give it a shot. So let's see. Oh, let's see what happens. Oh! But no, because it's also electrified. And Zelda gets zapped. Um, so Anne Baxter, you were asking yeah, earlier. Yeah. What's she from? So do you remember we were watching all those um, sort of uh, roadshow epics? You know, all the sort of like, you know, um, old, you know, so, uh, sword and sandal movies or oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah she yeah. is the... Um, the queen from uh, Ten Commandments. The oh, like you know Moses, you know blah blah blah. Always trying to tempt him or whatever. Oh, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he rejects her. So apparently, this whole thing has been devised to get Batman into their evil clutches. Yeah, yeah. So right, the evil saying or evil is <laughs> saying that uh, you know, as part of this trap or whatever, he wants to get Batman locked inside this. Yes, now I begin to see. So we cut back to the Bat Cave, and uh, we see Robin with the uh, <laughs> Raw Man's Prince, <laughs> Prince yeah. Raw Man's six-sided sun gem. Apparently, you know, we see a big uh, emerald. Yeah, I was saying, I'm sure it was supposed to be an emerald, but it definitely looked like Raw Man's sun. So they jump back in the Bat Cave for stock footage. We've actually already seen this sequence: the firing yeah. up of the Batmobile, and uh, and away they go. In a super speeded film, <laughs> as they're zooming down to back oh, to Gotham that. City on the road. I wonder if it'll be night by the time they get to Gotham, because it was last time, mm -hmm. which I thought was weird, because Gotham's only fourteen miles away. <laughs> exactly. So now we get back to Evil and Zelda. Um, I guess they're setting a trap for Batman. He says, "Go to go to the newspaper." Uh, so see the newspaper with the fake Batman headline, but then in the corner. The star of Samarkand is at this on display at some big jewelry store. 
So I'm yeah. So that was the emerald. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so he's telling her that all hope's not lost. You can still get me my hundred grand. All you got to do is rob that gem. Well, no, although now you got to involve a fence in it, I'd assume, <laughs> unless he <laughs> unless he takes gems as payment. So well, she, maybe that's what he's suggesting. And you know, if she gives him a hundred thousand dollars every year, mm-hmm. he might be able to take a year off because this was a sixties, and that was tons of money. I'm just I'm taking a look here, you know, while we're watching this. Actually, apparently, this episode yeah. um, is based on an actual comic book called uh, Batman's Inescapable Doom Trap. It's from uh, <laughs> Detective Comics number three forty six. So actually, well within the uh, the New Look era. Um, and it says that evil Ekdal actually did appear in that, um, but Zelda didn't. Instead, there was a, a male magician named Carnado. So we, at some point, we probably may want to take a look at, at that or whatever, just to compare yeah. and contrast. So, so Zelda is uh, she's down with the, the jewel robbery and the so, Batman trap. So we cut to apparently the jewelry store where Batman is putting the fake emerald. You know, with a, a tracking device that they're laying the bait for her. <laughs> okay. And the, yeah. and the jewelry store owner is very smitten, enamored <laughs> by Batman. Yeah, oh, and you're here too, Robin. That's just lovely. So, Batman, back to you again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tell, oh. me, tell me more about my eyes, Batman. <laughs> she's saying she's going to pass out. He does have a very sort of hypnotic, like he doesn't like, you know, waver his, his gaze from you when he's like talking to you. <laughs> well, I think that that's part of that, that campiness, like yeah. just the way he, he says his lines. His delivery. Yeah. He's very sort of like from the Shatner school of acting, I guess, <laughs> over the top. So, and they're explaining to her that she needn't be, you know, afraid of, of their garb. Because it's just, it protects their identity so they can more effectively fight crime. <laughs> but Batman is just like, you know, talking to her and she's like, just name it Batman. I'll do it. I'll do anything you want. Need cover? Go hide up on that balcony. Yeah. That'll be fine. Right. So they're, yeah. So what they're doing is they're laying out their trap. Um, there's a balcony up there and they're going to hide so they can see when the, the robber comes to take the bait. And apparently the jewel contains a, a homing beacon um, that they're going to be able to pick up in the in the Batmobile. I have to say, um, because we're looking at Batman coming head on to us here, I really like the yellow behind the bat because mm-hmm. it picks up on the yellow of his utility belt. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It's it, nice echo. It works. I think it, it almost kind of reminds me of a moon, right? Are you, you kidding? You see like, you know, like the, the bat against the, the, the night sky there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's supposed to be like the bat symbol. <laughs> so yeah, outside they've got the, uh, the, the Batmobile hidden under, you know, a tarp or whatever to pretend that it's like a, they're working on the power lines or something. Yeah. And there's Zelda spying on the whole deal from across the, the street. Again in orange, but this is a different orange dress. And she says that she's on the, their trap. And she actually says that to us, breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> yes, that's crazy. See, she is magic. <laughs> she's able yes, to apparently. See, see through the, uh, the unreality. Batman, I'm sorry, Robin waiting impatiently in the Batmobile. (laughs) So they're testing out the emerald. Apparently the homing beacon's working. Oh, I love their walkie-talkies. They look like little bat heads. They're awesome. Traps and counters. So where are we? Oh, so now we're back in the... Stately Wayne Manor. Stately Wayne Manor. As we see uh, Aunt Harriet. Oh, how was your rib roast? Yeah, no. She never, they never came back for their pancakes. <laughs> 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 so she's answering the phone. 
Mr. Wayne's residence. Shouldn't Albert be doing that? Yeah, really. Oh, maybe maybe he comes on late late morning or something. Oh, the uh, stuck in the head. Yeah, she's got struck, not stuck. Yeah, she's got <laughs> <laughs> she's got news that that Dick has been wounded on the playground apparently in a in a what? baseball game. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's very kind of you, Miss. What did you say your name was? Oh, I didn't. Miss Smith. Okay, so obviously okay. this is a setup. <laughs> the playground Jane matron. Smith. <laughs> yes. All right. So Aunt Harriet's gonna. Go to the scene, but yeah, waiting out in front for a special taxi. That that actually brings up a, a point, though, about he's so Dick on the playground or whatever. You know, obviously the actor playing, you know, Dick Grayson here, Burt Ward, is you know well into adulthood or whatever. But oh, yeah. he, but somehow, I, it's something in his performance, or you know, maybe his relative size to Adam West or whatever, you buy him as a young man, you know, or yeah. like you buy him like as a kid almost. It's strange. It's, he's like an adult playing what's supposed to be a kid and like you're willing to, to have that suspension of disbelief just right. because of his like you know gosh gee Willie, you know like that type thing it just <laughs> really comes across are you gonna say willikers <laughs> <laughs> so we see uh, we're back at the jewelry store we see a sort of like you know aged woman like a, a very old woman but it's clearly zelda in disguise yeah <laughs> so the uh jeweler you know is directing her to the the star of samarkand which there's a bunch of people standing around who all moved out of the way so the elderly woman could come in to take a look at this. Oh, it's amazing. She says, it almost looks real. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> as uh, Purple smoke. Yeah, as, as she juts out smoke out of her cane, knocking everybody out, and transforms into orange, the signature color of Zelda. And the jewel's gone. Da-da-da-da-da. Batman and Robin leaping into action. Right, leaping from the balcony. <laughs> With a fantastic silhouette there. Go, Batman. Oh, but Zelda disappears. Or she was just here. She's a master illusionist. She projected a false image with those tiny mirrors in her hat. I don't think so. That is a master illusion. <laughs> it's like David Copperfield level. <laughs> so, yeah, really. And the emerald's gone. And uh, Batman calls the cops. It alert the entire force. Unwrap the Batmobile. So, rushing outside as the uh, police are unwrapping the Batmobile. Uh, but as they do, the Robin finds no need. their decoy emerald just lying in the gutter. That tricky little she-devil. She-devil. <laughs> she must have smelled the trap. She's merely taunting us. So there's something else going on. Yeah. She has tricked you. So apparently the bat phone in the Batmobile is blinking. Thank you, citizen, for alerting us. Well, that backbone is different. Yeah. So, and it's Commissioner Gordon on the other end. Uh, your schemes worked, but not quite the way that you think. It's driven the felon to strike, but not at the Star of Samarkand. She pulled a kidnap. Oh, no! And who did she kidnap? Well, of course, Aunt Harriet. Aunt Harriet, exactly. Aunt Harriet. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, that, as I said, that's the aunt of Dick Grayson, uh, ward of Bruce Wayne. So obviously she's going to try a, an extortion. Yeah. Thing. They received a note with instructions for $100,000 to be delivered. You know, you'd think that she might want to buffer that, you know, like give Ekdal like the hundred grand and like, you know, ask for another 400 grand or whatever. Then you don't have to deal with him anymore. I, I agree with you, but that might have been too complicated for kids to understand. Mm -hmm, true. So, right, so we see now we see ooh, another Zelda poster. That's nice. Even greater than Houdini. Holy backfires right, says our narrator. Aunt Harriet has just one hour. As we see Aunt Harriet suspended over a flaming pit. 
<laughs> yeah, that is some craziness there. So she has a poorly devised uh, thing covering her face like a veil. Uh, and this is our, our cliffhanger. You know, will she die? See tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Well, that went by really fast. Yeah, these, I like to say these are a Greenway production. Na, 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 na. <laughs> Melanie's got her little bat dance going. <laughs> uh, Jack Crucian is evil ectal. Does it say lovey when it's spelled backward? Oh, uh, yeah, evil is it right? And special guest for Ann Baxter. So cool. That is our nice cliffhanger there. So uh, let me just go ahead and close this out. So what do you think? You think Aunt Harriet is done for? Oh, probably. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure Batman like... will save the day. Not on this one. This no, one's that, different. It looked like a, a death trap from which there's no escape. You know, basically, I, I know we sort of went through that a little bit fast, but just for a description or whatever. So apparently Zelda had kidnapped Aunt Harriet and has her suspended over a pit of uh, a flaming oil, you know, and, and with, unless she gets her 100 grand within the hour. Aunt Harriet's, you know, going into the into the flames. Into the fires. So, yeah. So I'm scared, man. I think I think she's done You're for. You're scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess we are not no going to know Batman. until our our next episode. So tune in on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> so all right. Um, so like I say, you know, that is, um, you know, I guess the plan that we're going to go with um, next time. We will take a look at you know part two of this and the um, and then that other you know Eclipso story. Um, so, you know, I, I know I got the look of dread, so yeah, let's you know, yeah, you move, you know, right into that then. Um, what were your thoughts on, uh, on this story, uh, Helio the Sun Demon, the, uh, the epic team up there in House of Secrets between our, our, uh, our two co-features, you know, Prince Raman and, uh, and Eclipso. <laughs> okay, well, I still don't like Eclipso. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> um, and I don't know, maybe it's Haney style, but I think I like Gardner Fox's, um, alliteration better like. even better like you'll take you know Gardner Foxen's alliteration over Haney any day yeah yeah about Haney is um and like I say we're we're gonna do another one of his stories um next week you know in, in Brave and the Bold um but I think I mentioned before Haney is very unique in his writing he doesn't cleave to any sort of established continuity like you know he's just like I got yeah. this idea you know in this one Batman can fly I mean I'm exaggerating or whatever but he's like you know and people are like no Batman doesn't fly oh no, no but this story he does you know he's yeah. like that kind of writer and uh, and yeah the story tonight is just like all over the map it was but we'll get to that <laughs> um for now let's talk about the art it wasn't that good in the first part mm -hmm. um Helios, uh, sorry, Helio. Helio, right. He was gross. I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I know he's supposed to be evil, but yeah. I, like I'm looking at the panels and I'm just wincing on the inside, looking at those things growing out of his back. Yeah, those are what I call protuberances. Uh, <laughs> they're like, they're like, yeah, for the benefit of anybody who's not looking at it, they're basically like hoses or something. So like imagine like you got four hoses coming out of your back but they're made out of flesh it was oh, just like it was disgusting it was so nasty <laughs> and I, I kind of you know what struck me as odd though is that like so eclipso's nemesis if you want to say like his weakness is what like you know there are a couple of stories we've seen what defeats him at the end of the story the light the light exactly so why on earth would part of his plan be to make a light being yeah helio yeah of all things <laughs> it's so stupid yeah I will create you, but I won't look at you. Exactly. <laughs> so having said that, let's bring it back to the storyline. You know, it doesn't, um, didn't make any sense at all. And that's definitely uh, Haney, the writer. Bob Haney, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I was just spoiled by Zatanna, but it doesn't sound like it, given what you've said. Well, Zatanna was kind of a different animal, right? That was a, 
continuing stories. So you were actually kind of getting a little bit of flavor, you know, from, uh, you know, a bunch of different characters. But that being said, it was Gardner Fox throughout. So he built yeah. his own continuity. This thing had nothing resembling continuity. You no, know? no, like, not at all. It was just really strange. Yeah. I mean, was it nice to see uh, uh, Raman and, and Elsa again? So uh, I was hoping that it would have been better. I've, I've enjoyed that storyline. And, uh, but I have to say that like, really, it was, uh, overall bad story. The art was uh, better in the second half, mm. not so good in the first. And I just, I, this little birdie is going down. Oh, that, that's actually the, that's too bad. That's the first, you know, Mark Merlin romance story that you're actually killing. Believe it or not. I mean, like, <laughs> was yeah, yeah, I was thinking it's so funny, like, you know, uh, on our website or whatever, you know, um, which is, uh tporpodcast.com <laughs> um, <laughs> like one of the things we have on the site is our little like tag cloud so like every yeah. episode I'll tag you know the magic characters in it and you know and then based upon the frequency of them they get larger or smaller or whatever and Prince Rama and Mark Merlin is like one of the biggest ones there and I was thinking like we have probably done more coverage of that character than anyone in history <laughs> you know like, he's such a freak because you know, like, just given the part of the Silver Age that we started on you know he's just like a you know a character you have to talk about in terms of magic or whatever but like i say never gotten as much attention as we're giving him yeah really yeah so but dc folks if you're listening out there you can totally make a movie or a tv <laughs> show out of that transformation Could you imagine that it's like you know a mark merlin tv <laughs> show that'd be funny um or i'd like to even just see a collection you know like not so much this romance stuff i'm not i'm not such a you know a fan of this or whatever but the early ones we were doing where we sort of like you know the supernatural sleuth i would i'd read that you know if they did like yeah. a mark merlin showcase i think it'd be fun yeah so, all right. So, dead bird on that hand. Um, did you want to judge the Batman episode? I know that's not really a story or whatever. Oh, no, we're not done with it yet. Oh, you want to look at those as together, but you, yeah. but eventually you do want to do a judgment on that. Sure, oh. I think yeah, I have to. Okay, don't I? well, you don't. You, t- you do whatever you want. I have to. <laughs> it is my duty. So, all right. Um, with that in mind, then you know, let's just go ahead and uh, and leave this on a cliffhanger. You know, for <laughs> for folks listening, you know, join us here. Uh, you know, next week, same Rook time, same Rook channel. <laughs> nice, nice, very good. <laughs> and uh, you know, once again, we want to thank everybody uh, for joining us here. Uh, we hope you had a good time, and we hope to see you here next week on the Parliament of Rooks podcast. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Corrections and suggestions may be sent to tporpodcast at gmail.com.